series that we've entitled Expect the Unexpected. As we enter into this Christmas season, I, I know that Christmas is full, the Christmas story is full of, of stories that people say that's, that's impossible. There's no way that could happen. The Christmas story is full of, of things like a virgin giving birth and, and angels talking and prophecies that were prophesied 700 years before the prophecies taken place and how they come to fulfillment in, in this story. Moving stars. Who has ever seen a star move and go and rest over a place? The, the Christmas story is full of, of things that, that we did not expect to happen, but the moment and the, the story and even and the theme that we see coming out of Christmas is that when we come to the Christmas story, we should be expecting those things that are unexpected. And so we come now to the beginning of the Christmas story, Luke chapter 1, and I want to speak to you on the topic of the glorious possible. Please stand in the honor of reading God's Word. Luke chapter 1, the glorious possible. We'll begin reading in verse number 26. The Bible says this, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who, who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Father God, I thank you for this opportunity to, for us to approach the Christmas story and to see these things that are seemingly impossible. And Father, how you make impossible situations possible. How you take the unexpected and you say that we should expect them. So, Father, as we approach this word today, may we have open hearts and open ears to hear what you would have to say to us. We ask this in Jesus' name, and all of God's people said, thank you. Please be seated. There's two points to today's message, two things that I believe that Mary saw as we, as we look at Mary, who was, uh, the, the unexpected happened to her, and how we are to expect that, and the glorious possible. What are some of the things that Mary saw? Two things I want us to identify from the text. First of all, we see that from Mary, uh, she received the Son of God, and so must we. We must receive the Son of God. In order for us to experience the glorious possible, in order for us to expect the unexpected, 
expected, the first thing we must do is what Mary did, and that's receive the Son of God. She received for herself, and she made herself available to God, the Savior of the world. Now, I want to say at the onset of this message that there is a theology that is out there that says that Mary never sinned, and that is so wrong. Mary was a sinner in need of a Savior, just like every single one of us. And so she must have received the Son of God the same way we receive the Son of God through faith. And so the angel announced to Mary and said, uh, there are some very important things concerning what is about to take place. And so when she received the Word of God, when she received the Son of God, rather, there were two things that we see about the Son of God. First of all, we see that His saving name. We see His saving name. That's verse 30 and 31. Look at your Bible. Verse 31, the the angel said, you shall call his name Jesus. Jesus. There's something about names, and especially when it comes to the Bible. In Bible names, names have meaning. Names have meaning. We named our two children uh, names out of the Bible. Abigail, Abigail, a Hebrew. It's a Hebrew word. Abba, which means father. Gail, which comes from the Hebrew word joy. So Abigail means my father's joy. Elijah, Elihu in Hebrew. Eli comes from Elohim. Uh, Yahu from Yahweh, Jehovah. The Lord is our God. Elijah, that's what Elijah means. The Lord is our God. And so we, we, all of our names have meaning, and there's uh, great meaning in Bible names. And we name our children these names, and, and we know that they have meaning. That's why you don't see a lot of children running around named Ichabod or Judas. We, we don't name our kids that because names have a meaning. The name Jesus has a very powerful meaning. The name Jesus means our God saves. In Hebrew, we would have pronounced his name Yeshua, Yeshua, Yahweh saves, our Lord saves, God saves, Jesus. There's no greater name than the name of Jesus, God our salvation. In fact, in Matthew's account, in Matthew chapter 1 and and verse 21, Mary was told, you shall bring forth a son, you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save the people from their sins. Jesus came that we might be delivered. His name means salvation. And so he came in order to save people from their sin, from the bondage of sin and death, so that we could be saved from our sin. Now that's important today. That's important today. And we look at the story of Mary. We see that Mary was startled. It says that when the angel approached Mary, she was afraid. And I would venture to say that if an angel spoke and appeared to any one of us, starting with myself... I'm afraid of lizards, all right? So if I'm scared of lizards, I'm going to be terrified of an angel. An angel appears and, and starts talking to me. Okay, wait a minute. Let's, let's hear what he's about to say. I would be afraid as well. But where does fear come from? Does fear come from the Lord? You know, the Bible says that we are to fear God, but that doesn't mean that we're afraid. Fear of the Lord means that we're in holy reverence. But here, uh, the, the idea of afraid comes out of sin. Fear is not of God. Fear is not of God. And so when we start looking at this fear, and, and all of us are afraid in some form or fashion, we, we have this, this, this fear, we're afraid, and it, it comes out of our nature. It comes out of our sin nature. And so we have to deal, before we can deal with fear, we have to deal with the root problem. And the root problem, of course, is sin. 
Do you recall in the very beginning, in the opening pages of your Bible, in the book of Genesis, Adam and Eve, when they sinned, it says that after they sinned, they ran from the presence of God. They, 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 they looked and they saw they were naked and looked in their shame and they hid themselves in the bush. And the Bible says that God began to walk through the Garden of Eden and he began to call out their name and said, why are you hiding from me? Why are you hiding from me? And do you remember what Adam said? He said, we are, did anyone know? Afraid. We are afraid. Guilt produces fear. When we sin, sin produces guilt. Guilt produces fear. There's something about the guilt of sin that produces an unholy fear in people's lives. In fact, I guess you could say that guilt and fear are Siamese twins. They're, they're, the, they're the same peas out of the pod. And so in order to deal with fear, we must first deal with our sin. The Bible says here in Luke chapter 1, Matthew chapter 1, that Jesus came to save us from our sins, his saving name. Now, some people look at the name of Jesus, and which represents, of course, his, his, his personhood, his nature, and they say, well, Jesus was a good man. Jesus was a savior. Jesus was a good teacher. He was a good rabbi. He was a, a good moral person. Jesus was a savior. But the Bible doesn't say that Jesus was a savior. The Bible says that Jesus was the savior. Jesus was not a savior among many. He wasn't one of a multitude of saviors that were to come. No, the Bible painstakingly says that Jesus is not a savior, but Jesus is the savior. John writes in 1 John chapter 4, 14, the father sent the son into the world to be the savior. Not a savior, but the savior. Jesus said it this way, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Not one among many, but the one and only, the name of Jesus, the Savior of the world. But we don't stop there with Jesus being the Savior. We know that he is the Savior, and perhaps uh, you're here today and you say, yes, Jesus is the Savior, but what does that mean for you? What does that look like for you? Jesus can be the Savior, but you can still not have a relationship with him. It's so important for Jesus to move from the Savior to my Savior. So the question we have to ask ourselves is this, is Jesus my Savior? Not is Jesus the Savior. You can read the Bible and see that Jesus is the Savior. The question of the ages, the question that you must ask yourself, the question I must ask myself, is Jesus my Savior? Have you come to the place in your life where you've bowed your heart and invited him in to be your personal Lord and Savior? Is Jesus your Savior? The way Christ becomes your Savior is by trusting in his name. That's what Paul wrote in Romans 10, 13, is it not? Whosoever shall call upon the name of Jesus Christ shall be saved. It's a saving name. You cannot call upon any other name for salvation. Now, we can call upon many names to be gods of our life. Sometimes we call upon the names of of cars or of other people or jobs, and we make those things our gods. Those are the things that consume us. Those are the things that wake us up in the morning. That's where our heart is. And so sometimes we call uh, our, our Savior money, or we call our Savior sex, or we call our Savior drugs, or we call our Savior a job, or we call our Savior our spouse, or we call our Savior our friend, or we call our Savior a whole lot of other things. One thing that we 
often call our Savior is religion. We buy into religion and we think that this religion will somehow get me a relationship with God. But all of those things that we have made gods, we've made idols out of, none of them can truly save you from your sin. The only Savior that can save you from your sin is the Savior. His name is Jesus Christ. Mary heard this message. She received the Son of God. She received the Son of God, and we understand that because of his saving name. But not only did she see his saving name, but she also understood his saving nature. Again, look at the verse again, verse 31. You shall conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call him Jesus. The saving nature of Jesus is this. He's both man and God. Both man and God. 100% God, 100% man. Not 50-50. Not 50-50. Now, for my math majors, if you take 100% and you add 100%, what do you get? 200%. In our mind, that, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense, does it? How can somebody be 200% of something? I told you before, my, my high school football coach would always say, Baldwin, give me 120%. I didn't have the, the, the gall to tell him, I can't give you more than 100, coach. Because I knew I'd have to run more laps if I backtalked him. But the truth is this, you can't give 100% more of what, you, of what you got. In this bottle, if I filled it all the way up with water, that's 100% of water. I cannot put 120% of water in this bottle. It's not physically possible. But yet Jesus, we see Jesus as 100% God and 100% man. The saving nature of Jesus. He's the God-man. He said, here you will conceive in your womb. Mary, of course, the earthly mother of Jesus, the mother of Jesus. He was the heavenly child of an earthly mother. The Bible says that Jesus was born of a woman, the, 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 the woman Mary. He was the son of Mary. She was a virgin. Again, the, the scripture is painstakingly clear on the subject that she was a virgin. This birth was a miracle birth. It was a supernatural birth. And even though this was a supernatural birth, Mary was very much a natural mother. In Isaiah seven fourteen, the Bible says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call him his name Emmanuel, God with us. 700 years before this was to take place, we see the prophet Isaiah prophesying the virgin, a virgin will give birth. So in the saving nature of Jesus, he was the son of Mary. That's his humanity, his perfect, sinless humanity. But the Bible also says in verse 32, look at it. Not only was he the son of Mary, but verse 32 says he is the son of the highest. He is the son of the most high. Not only the son of Mary, the son of man, but also the son of God. Not only the heavenly child of an earthly mother, but also an earthly child of a heavenly father. Just as much God if he were not man at all, and just as much man if he were not God at all. Pastor, how do you understand that? I don't know. I have racked my brain for years trying to understand this. I cannot understand it. But just because I can't understand it doesn't make it true. I, I trust this by faith. I believe this by faith. And truly, I know that, that this had to have been this way, Right? Think about what did we need for our sins to be forgiven? A perfect sacrifice. The blood of bulls and goats weren't cutting it. 
The blood, the, the blood of animals were, were, was not cutting it. The writer of Hebrews said you've got to go over and over and over again, year after year after year, slaying these animals slaying these animals so the blood of the animal could, could, could forgive the sin for a year. Jesus, the Son of Mary, that's His humanity. Jesus, the Son of God, that's His deity. Isaiah again prophesies. Isaiah tells us in, in, in chapter 9, verse 6, he tells us of this. He gives us, he gives us a precursor to this great mystery that Jesus is 100% God and, and 100% man. He said in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, he said, it's a great verse that so many of us know. He said, unto us a child is born. That's Jesus and his humanity. Unto us a child is born. That's his humanity. But then he went on to say, unto us a son is what? Given. That Hebrew phrase is a son is presented. That's his deity. So here Isaiah is telling us at the very beginning, Isaiah chapter 9, that this is going to be a human but also a God. It's 100% man, 100% God. Unto us this day, a son is born. That's natural. But a son that is given, how can you give a child unless you're God? So we see at the very beginning the saving nature of Christ. 100% God, 100% man. And like Mary, we're astonished. Like Mary, we are amazed. The Apostle Paul said it this way, great is the mystery of godliness that, that God was manifest in the flesh. It's unexpected. Some might even say it's impossible. But God throughout this season takes the impossible and makes it possible. The Christmas story, the Christmas season is all about us expecting those things that are unexpected. Now you say, Pastor, does it really matter about the virgin birth? There's a popular Christian writer, and I put Christian in quotation marks, who's written a book. He wrote a book. It was just a few years ago he wrote this book. And in this book, he, he begins to postulate, and he says that, you know, if, if we took the virgin birth and I could somehow prove the virgin birth didn't happen and, and the virgin birth was taken off the table, it should not hurt our faith. That's really, really wrong. <laughs> really, 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 really wrong. If you move the virgin birth away from the Christian faith, then the Christian faith crumbles. You say, well, how so? How important is the virgin birth? How important is this, this doctrine that, that, that Mary uh, conceived a child, but yet she had no relations with a man? How important is that? Why, why is that so important? If Jesus had an earthly father, then he would have had the blood of his father coursing through his veins, sinful blood in his veins, and therefore Jesus would have been in need of a Savior just like you and me. If Jesus was the product of Joseph and Mary or James and Mary or whomever and Mary, then he would have been a sinner just like you and I. He would have been in need of a Savior. He would not have been a perfect sacrifice, but because he was born of a virgin, therefore he, had no, uh, the, he had, did not have the Father's blood running through. He did not have Adam's blood running through his veins. Therefore, he could be the perfect sacrifice. Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of the Highest, the Son of Mary, the God-man. He was sinless, he was perfect, 
and able to be the sacrifice of the world. It's essential. The virgin birth is not incidental, but yet it's fundamental to the plan of God and Jesus Christ. The, the scriptures declare that she would be a virgin. She would give forth a son. You would name him Emmanuel, God with us, so that he might be the Savior of the world. Again, in order to save men from their sins, there must be the shedding of blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And so there had to be a perfect sacrifice. In order for God to save humankind, a human must take that sin. He must take that notion. He must take that burden. He must take that from us, that which we are carrying. Animals can't carry our burden, our spiritual sinful burden. So God knew it had to be a man. So he looked down and he sent his son, his only begotten son, that whosoever shall believe in him shall not ever perish, but have eternal, everlasting life. Mary experienced a miracle. She received the Son of God, but not only did she receive the Son of God, his saving name and his saving nature, not only did she receive the Son of God, but she also believed the Word of God. She believed the Word of God. Look at verse 34. The Bible says in Luke chapter 1 and verse 34, And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since... I am a virgin. Now, I know that there are people here today and you're experiencing hang-ups, hardships, and hurts. Perhaps you've been trusting God for a long time for whatever this is that, that you've been praying for. Perhaps you've been claiming Scripture over this area of your life or over this relationship for a long time. Perhaps you've been expecting the unexpected, but yet you have seen no changes. Maybe your faith is becoming weak. Maybe you feel like giving up. Maybe you say, I, I can't keep praying for this because nothing ever changes. Listen, I, I know where you are. In fact, I'm coming out of a season of my own spiritual walk where, where I've been dealing with a lot of these things as well. God, you promised this, but this ain't happening. God, you said that this was going to take place, but yet this is not taking place. Even preachers struggle. And I know if preachers struggle, then we all struggle. And so we're walking through this faith and we're saying, God, I am praying for this. I'm fasting for this. I'm praying over this. I'm fasting over this. But yet nothing changes. And we look and we say, my faith is weak. My faith is weak. I, I, I can't go anymore, God. I, I can't take another step. I don't understand this. Maybe you have an unbelieving spouse. And you've been praying that God would save that spouse. Maybe you and your spouse have been trying to conceive a child and you've been trying for years and years and years and, and no child. Maybe... Maybe you've been trusting God that, that, that you're, you're going to have a, a spouse and you have this feeling of loneliness and you've been asking God for years and years, oh, give me a spouse, but yet you find yourself alone today. What we see from Mary, listen, what we see from Mary, what we learn from Mary is that even though you may not see God working or even what's going on or how he's going to do it, you must continue to trust God at his word. 
he said something that was unbelievable. <laughs> he said, the angel said, you're going to have a son. Think about if you were, a, if you were in Mary's shoes, you had never had a relationship with another man. And somebody said, you're pregnant and you're going to have a baby. You're going to say, you're crazy. You need to go back to sixth grade science and learn the birds and the bees. <laughs> this doesn't just happen. But yet Mary, she trusted God at his word. She, she didn't doubt. She may not have understood how it was going to happen, and certainly she had no clue. She had no idea how this was going to take place, but yet there was not, there, there was not doubt there. She, she believed it by faith. She had never known a man. How could she have a baby? And it may be that you're facing an impossible situation like this. An insurmountable problem, an impossible situation. Maybe with your family, maybe with your finances, maybe at your business. How can you face that impossible situation? How can you face that impossible situation by faith? How can we walk the way Mary walked? Mary was just a human being like you and I. But how did she have that measure of faith? to hear something that was so unbelievable, so remarkable, so unexpected, but yet she said, okay, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to have the faith. I'm going to walk along. And let me tell you that through my struggles these past few months, God really spoke to me through this message and through his word. And he's given me assurance after assurance after assurance that he is God. And what he promised, he will come through with. I want to give you two takeaways and we'll conclude for the day. The first thing that we see straight from God's word about how we can, how we can believe the word of God when we hear something unexpected, something that, that is remarkable, something that is impossible. How, how, can we, how can we believe God at his word? First of all, remember that God is in control. Remember that God is in control. Look back at your Bible, verse 35. The Bible says, and the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Notice this is coming right after her question. How can I be pregnant? I'm a virgin. Go back to sixth grade science, right? This is not possible. You're crazy. And then he comes back and he, he gives her an answer. And the angel said to her, answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born, will be called holy, the Son of God. The angel, when Mary said, how can this be, I'm a virgin, the angel didn't say, oh, wait a minute, let me go ask God. I don't think he saw that one coming. You know, God in heaven knew that Mary was a virgin. God in heaven created Mary, and he chose Mary for this very specific purpose. He created her for this purpose, just as he created you for a purpose. Your purpose is not to be Mary. Your purpose is not to be Wesley. Your purpose is to be you. But God created you with a specific purpose in mind. And when he, gives, when, when, when he created Mary, Mary asked this honest question, how, how can this happen? I'm a virgin. The angel said very quickly, listen, what I hear in this is that God's in control. He, he didn't flutter in his speech. He didn't say, oh, I don't think God knew that you were a virgin. I, I, he said, listen, God's got this. God's in control. God is over all of this situation. The Holy Spirit will overshadow you, Mary. That word overshadow is actually a transliteration in the Greek from the Hebrew 
when we find this usage in the Hebrew Old Testament, it's the time when, when God would, in his Shekinah glory, would come and rest over the tabernacle. So this idea of overshadowing is when God would move on the tabernacle so we can understand what, what Luke is saying here to us through this word. He says, it, it shall overshadow, he shall cover you. We have a description here of the miracle that took place. This is not some mythological story of, of gods having, engaging in sexual relations to produce other gods. No. This is a beautiful, sedate and simple story of a virgin who presented herself to God. And the Spirit of God, through His glory and through His power, overshadowed her, covered her. And the Spirit of the living Christ came into her humanity. When she faced an impossible situation, she believed the Word of God. She knew that God was in control. No matter what situation or circumstance you find yourself in, remember that God is in control. Number two, God can do the impossible. God can do the impossible. Look at verse 36. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. If that verse is not underlined in your Bible, it should be. Luke one thirty-seven. Nothing is impossible with God. Now, apparently Mary didn't know that Elizabeth, her relative, was with child. Elizabeth lived in Hebron. That was 100 miles from Nazareth. That was 100 miles from where, where uh, Mary was living. And obviously this predates text message. This predates predates Instagram. So Elizabeth could not uh, take a picture of herself and post it on Instagram and Facebook for Mary to see. So she wasn't Facebooking back and forth or texting back and forth. So it's not not hard to see that Mary had no idea that Elizabeth was pregnant. Again, 100 miles was a long way when you've got to walk it. And so Mary is hearing that, that, that Elizabeth, her relative, is with child. The child that was growing in Elizabeth's womb was whom? John the Baptist. Now apparently she was beyond the years of, she was barren. She was beyond the the childbearing years. Now is it not interesting? Why would it be that when Mary said, how can this be? I'm a virgin. And he comes forward. He says, the spirit of God will overshadow you. And he's talking about what God is going to do. And then he doesn't skip a beat. And he said, Mary, your relative Elizabeth, the person that you know, the person you grew up with, she's a lot older than you. She's trying to have babies and she can't have babies. But yet the spirit of God has come and, and she is pregnant and she's in her second trimester. She's six months along. She's about to go into her third trimester. This baby's coming. What's he saying? He's allowing Mary to see that, that God could do the difficult. For Mary to believe that God could do the difficult, but it wasn't just that, but it was going even further than that, that God could not simply just do the difficult, but he could also do the impossible. After all, with God, there really is no difference between difficult and impossible, is there? For with God, the Bible says all things are possible. And when you and I face impossible situations in our life, How good is it that we can see in the lives of other people God working? How important is it for us to see that God is still in control and God is still moving? 
That God is still doing miracles and doing great and wondrous things in the lives of people who trust Christ. You say, well, that's not scientifically possible. The virgin birth is not scientifically possible. Hence the definition of it's a miracle. I cannot tell you, I cannot tell you, I can be, I can name names of individuals who follow Christ. They went to the doctor and the doctor did a x-ray, found a mass. Name an organ, I've heard just about every single one of them. Found a mass on somewhere. And this person prays and prays that God will bring healing. They go back a few years or a few weeks later and they take that x-ray. They get another x-ray and that mass is gone. The doctors say, I've been in the room and I've heard the doctors say, this is not possible. Scientifically, this is not possible. There's been no chemo. There's been no drugs. What in the world has happened? It's a miracle. It's a miracle. Our God works miracles. A miracle is taking that which is impossible and making it possible. It's not believing in coincidence, and we should all take that word coincidence out of our vocabulary. There's no such thing as a coincidence. I shared with you the, the, the offering about the family in our church who had given and designated in their heart that they were going to start tithing, they're going to start giving, and they've not even written the first check yet, and then how God moved and brought that, uh, to the, the, giving them a free, over $400 of repair work for free, just wrote it off. That's not normal. If every business did that, they would be out of business, right? You say, oh, that, that's a coincidence. How is that a coincidence? Who does that? Only God. God takes the impossible and makes it possible. He takes the unexpected and he says, you should expect it. Don't walk by sight. Don't walk by sight. This, this, our, our God is not work in, in flesh and blood. Our God works in the spiritual realm. We don't walk by sight. We walk by faith. And if you miss anything over these next series that we do in this Christmas story, the, 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 the point of Christmas is that we should expect the unexpected. That when we hear something that's impossible, we should expect God to come through. We just laid hands on a, a, another one of our dear church members just this past week. And we said around before we laid hands, James 5, before we laid hands and anointed with oil, I said, if there is a man in here who does not believe by faith that God can bring healing to this body, you need to leave right now. Why? Because faith matters. Expect the unexpected. We are to walk by faith, not by sight. We don't want to limit the wonder-working power of God. Mary didn't. Mary refused to limit God and say, you know, I don't understand this, so no, I don't want to have any part of this. There's no way she knew what was happening. There's no way she understood it. We don't even understand it. But yes, she received it. She believed the word of God. Think about Abraham. God asked Abraham a question, a rhetorical question. He said, is there anything too hard for me? Abraham was facing a lot of problems. And God said, Abraham, is there really anything too hard for me? I created you. I created everything that you see. I created the problem that you're about to even walk into. Is this really too hard for me, Abraham? 
The answer is no. There's never anything too hard for God. I read this, I I shared this with you at, at a time past, but it's so important to see again. There truly is no promise too hard for God to keep. Think about it. If God broke one of his promises, and this book is full, thousands upon thousands of promises, if God broke a promise out of this book, he would cease to be God. If God said something here and he didn't follow through with it, he would be a liar and therefore he would cease to be God. Therefore, there is no promise that God is, that God cannot keep. God keeps every single one of his promises. There's also no prayer. There's no prayer too hard for God to answer. Jeremiah 33, 3 says, Call unto me and I will answer and show you great and mighty things that you know not. Nothing lies outside, nothing lies outside, nothing lies beyond the reach of prayer except that which lies outside the will of God himself. Jesus taught us to pray, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. So when we lay hands on James 5, we're not saying that I have the power to heal. I don't have the power to heal, but God does, and I believe that God can do it. I believe that God can heal whatever situation you have in life. By faith, I trust, and I believe God at his word. That by his stripes we are healed. Physically, spiritually, yes. God is the great physician. God is the miracle working God. No matter what it is in life that you need, God can work that situation for good and he will do it. We have to walk by faith. We have to stay strong by faith. God is greater than your problem. Maybe you have an impossible situation a fearful situation. If you miss everything I said, don't miss this. God is Lord over your problem. God is over it. The Bible says that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man what God has in store for those who love him. Walk by faith. Whatever that mountain is, whatever that storm is, whatever that situation is, whatever that problem is, stop walking by this. Walk by faith.